see, Psalm 46. And we're in our series of the power to be his witnesses. And we get that out of action. I'll read that in just a minute. But kind of understanding that the power to be loved and the power to love. Um, and I just want to encourage you that you will find that God loves you the most when, or not the most, but you'll understand his love the most when you're loved through adversity. When you don't try to fight his love during hard times. That's when you just need to take the time to sit and be still and let him love on you. Um, but the struggle that we have is while things are going good, we don't usually understand his love. Right? We don't, we don't seek it out. We don't try to understand it. And so when difficulties come, we're, we're living off based of what we know and we don't know his love. And so that's why it's so important. We always call them non-conflict times. When you're in non-conflict times, know that he loves you. Figure it out. So that when conflict comes, you don't waver. You know that he loves you. Now we're human, so we're going to have a moment of questioning, but it shouldn't be a lifelong moment of questioning. It should be a moment, not forever. And uh, But it's important that we understand, and I'm pretty certain this is the last one on, on the power to be loved, understanding his love. You know, we need the Holy Spirit to do that. In Acts chapter 1, we've looked at these. Verse 4 says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I mean, he commanded them not to leave, and thank God they didn't. Thank God they weren't like us. You know, after a day of not seeing anything, we probably would have left. Well, this is a waste of time. After two days, after three days, you know, there's ten days that they waited. For us, that's a lifetime. Anyways, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So, God's desire is for us to be a witness wherever we go. You know, you may not go to the end of the earth, but just wherever you go, God intends for you to be a witness. He intends for you to uh, be like him. You know, it's fascinating to me that Jesus came to make a difference in our life. And then he says, but I'm going to go away, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job is the same thing, is to make a difference in our lives. Jesus came to show us what, Love looks like and the Holy Spirit deposit, deposits his love into our hearts so that we can begin to love God in return. Because remember, he, we love because he first loved us. And so there's, there's that element of just being different because he's with us and we know him and we know his love. It's interesting to me that both Jesus and the Holy Spirit their main concern, their main desire is to see God's desire for our lives be made manifest on the earth. Not when we get to heaven, but now. 
they are working towards the Father, why the Father made us, the purpose that the Father created us. They're both in agreement and they're both working towards that. And um, it starts with us having a right relationship with God. And that starts with us coming to know Jesus Christ and, and putting our faith in His sacrifice. And then it continues with being filled with the Holy Spirit so that He can lead us and guide us. And love is based on relationship. We don't always get that. I, I don't know how we think that it's based on something else, but we do. Because if it's based on relationship, in order to have a relationship, you have to spend time together. So that brings us to Psalm 46. And we're going to look at two verses in here. I would love to read the whole chapter, but you can do it on your own. But verse, Psalm 46, verse 10 starts off with this. Be still and know that I am God. Now we read that, but then we don't be still. And I just want to encourage you. If you're not still, you're not going to know that he's God. Because he said, be still and know that I am God. Well, if we're not still, how are we going to know that he's God? And what's he going to tell us when we're still? I will be, this is what he said, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Everybody say the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's hard to know that he is God and that he loves us and that he is for us when we are so busy. Even in our business, we know intellectually that he loves us, but we don't know it experientially. We don't know it intimately like we could. And we have to understand that there's so much more love that God wants to reveal to us, but we have to be willing and fight to make the time to be still. Now, I promise you, I'm not going to talk about you this morning. So just disregard everything else that I'm going to say. If you think I'm talking about you, just say, no, he said he's not. All right. You see, usually in our busyness, we're so busy doing things to get him or someone else to love us. And I'm not looking at you. Because I have tell me this, why were you looking at me the whole time you were preaching? I said, well, because you were the best looking one there, I guess. <clears throat> you see, we're always trying to prove ourselves, and so we're busy trying to do something. And that busyness keeps us from being still. Um, and 
then if we decide that we're going to be still in the back of our minds, what do we do? We keep thinking of the things we ought to be doing. <laughs> Look, how many of you thought, man, if God would just give me two more hours in the day, I could get it all done? No, you wouldn't. It's in the time that we're still that we build a strong relationship with God. And that's why the enemy wants us to be busy. Because as long as we're busy, we're not going to develop that relationship. But when we become still, then we develop that relationship more. And again, relationships take time to be established. And that means we have to be still. So I'm going to help you out on how to be still for a moment. All right. The first thing that I would tell you is don't plan on being still for an hour. You're probably not going to make it. Just plan on being still. And there's, I don't know how you're going to do this, but this is what I recommend. Put your phone and your tablet somewhere else and don't be near your computer. Because if you're near your computer, something will pop up and then you're going to want to look at it and everything else. So put all of those away, all those distractions away. Put them in another room. Put them on silence too so that you don't hear them. All right? And um, just find a nice, comfortable place to sit down and sit down and just be still and say, God, here I am. Speak to me. And then don't move. And when you're sitting there, close your eyes because you're going to look around the room and you're going to think of all the things that you could be doing and you should be doing at that moment. You're going to see the dust that you've never seen before. You know, you're going to see all kinds of... Just... Now, the tricky part is, I will give you this, if you can play music on your phone, go ahead and do that. But even when you first start, I wouldn't even play music. I would just be still and let it drive you crazy. And then you can add the music on later when you know that you're disciplined enough not to look at your phone when it goes off. You know, when my mom was alive, we would talk several times a week. And it got to the point where um, we would be talking and, and I'm trying to watch, it was usually a ball game. And so then my mind was more focused on the ball game than it was on my mom. And... This happened a few times, and finally, I don't know how many times it happened, but finally she said to me one day, she said, Richard, she said, just call me back when you have time. And the game is over. I was like, okay, busted. <laughs> but, but see, we do that in, in the natural, we think, well, I can multitask. And so we think we can multitask with God. And I'm here to tell you, you cannot multitask with God and get everything that you need to get from Him. And so something has to give. And so the thing that I want to encourage you to give is give up all the other things that you would like to do during that time. Just be still. Mom cured me of that. And yet we try and do it with God. 
we'll have our prayer time and then somebody will text us and we look at their text, you know. Do you think the enemy doesn't know when you're going to have prayer time too? You know, or you decide you're going to have prayer time or your quiet time before the Lord and then all of a sudden somebody's going to have an emergency and they, they have to have you respond to it right away? No, you don't. You know, as a pastor, one of the things that I learned is your emergency doesn't mean it's my emergency too. And I'm not trying to be mean about this, but I heard a, a minister preaching on this and he said, look, he said, Lazarus died, but Jesus took four more days to get there. And he said it was an emergency to them, but it wasn't to God. And so just because it's an emergency in you doesn't mean it's an emergency for me. And then the other thing that I want you to know, there's always tomorrow. You don't have to accomplish everything today. I have met so many people wear themselves out because they think they have to have everything done today. And I'm here to tell you, tomorrow's coming. Look at it this way. It's job security for you if you don't get everything done today. There's tomorrow. I, I promise you, tomorrow will come. Okay? But then you sit there and you think, yeah, but there's so much I have to do tomorrow then. That's because you're too busy today. So, this is what I'm saying. We have to take the time to figure out what is so overloading us that we're so busy. Think about it. You're sitting here thinking about tomorrow. But what happens if tomorrow doesn't come? Then you don't have to worry about it. Right? Now, what if tomorrow comes, but you're not there? You don't have to worry about it. If you know God, you're in a better place anyways. But see, we, we have it so messed up in our minds. And, and that's why we just need to relax and take some time to be still before the Lord. Be still with Him. Now, if you go back and read Psalm 46, what you're going to find is the earth was in an upheaval. Everything was chaotic. There was things in the natural that were taking place that were causing difficulties. There was religious difficulties. There were political difficulties going on at the time. And at the end of all of that, what does the psalmist say? He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and in the earth. He's going to be. Don't worry about it. You don't have to help him. Just be. Just be. We heard that song this morning. Just be. Just be at his feet. At the end of that psalm, he says, or at the beginning of the title was, God is our fortress. Well, if he's your fortress, guess what? You can relax. And so we need to be reminded that God is our fortress when we're facing trouble. It's okay. And we need to begin to view trouble 
and trials as an opportunity to draw close to the Lord, experiencing His love in a different way. If you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8. Now, I don't necessarily want to end this little series on love, but I need to, okay? Because I want to get to some other things. But to me, Romans chapter 8 is one of the best chapters in the whole Bible speaking of the love of God. And so we're going to read through it um, slowly. We're going to read some and I'll interject some things. But I just pray and hope that you just sense God's love for you. No matter what season you're in. Because he's going to mention some. But just know that he loves you. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it starts off this way. There is therefore now, everybody say now. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, some of us read that and we, we think, oh, that's great. I don't want to be condemned. And I, I need you to know something. As a believer, you may not be condemned. But I want you to know, be assured that if you're in sin, God is going to convict you. He may not be condemning you, but he is going to convict you. That is a part of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so here's what I see believers doing when they're out in sin and they know it and they're blatant about it. Then they're like, oh, well, you, you can't judge me. You can't condemn me. Yeah, we can. Scripture says we can judge you by your fruit. But we're not condemning you. And, and then when you begin to enlighten them with what the Scripture says, then they feel the condemnation. But it's not condemnation. It's really conviction. But in our minds, we, we inter exchange con, uh, condemnation with conviction. We just think every time that God speaks to us and He reveals some kind of truth to us, it's condemnation. No, it's not. It's conviction. When he wants to get us to change our way, he brings a scripture that shows that we're in error. In hopes that when we understand that we're in error, we get convicted about that error and we go on, we change. But what the world does now is they say, well, you can't condemn me. Well, we're not condemning you. And, and I'm not talking about the world outside of Christ, but I'm talking about the believers who are now walking like they belong to the world. You are going to get convicted. I promise you that. God is going to be with you wherever you go and he, and he knows exactly what you're doing. And it's not condemnation. And I, I've even heard people say, well, you know, you keep using the scripture against it. Well, what else are you going to use as a believer? Do you want me to get something from the world and give it to you so you can be happy? No. You want it from God's word to be convicted so you can change. But it's not condemnation. And as soon as you begin speaking truth, then they come against you. Well, 
I don't want to hear what the Word says. Okay. Then you live your life and be miserable. It's all right. God will let you. We've figured that out. We've already learned that. He will let you do your own thing even though He loves you. But we need to get the difference between conviction and, and condemnation. For us, there's no condemnation. But that doesn't mean that there's no conviction. Verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And that's a lot, but really what he's saying is, is that the reward for sin is death. And Jesus came in the flesh to become our reward of death for sin. Because the law can't save us. But Jesus did through His death. And now we have the opportunity not to walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So we decide what we're going to have. If we set our mind on the flesh, we're going to reap death. If we set our mind on the spirit, we're going to reap life and peace. You choose. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out which one you want. Verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And verse 11 is such a crucial scripture because it's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit in us and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring that change about in us. The change that God wants us to have to be able to walk in the plans and the purposes that God has for us. Jesus said that we would receive power to become his witnesses. And this is what this verse is all about. And again, we want to get to the part of being his witnesses, but we don't want to go through the part of finding his love and, and coming to the place of understanding his love in a greater measure by the things that we go through, by the things that we suffer. The enemy's job is to get us to doubt God's love and his goodness towards us like he did with Adam. And so when we face difficulties, if we're not certain about the love of God, then we're going to fall into that same lie, that same trap. 
And I just want to remind you that Paul is writing to believers who are having a very hard life right now. To the point where some of them are even losing their life because of their faith in Jesus Christ. We aren't there yet, but hang on. In my Bible, before verse 12, it says, heirs with Christ. And it says this in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see, there's hope for us when we give ourselves to God and what God has for us. Verse 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, and you need to know this if you're a believer. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And I just want to encourage you when you begin to suffer, it's okay. God's going to reveal his love to you in a mighty way. And then before verse 18, it talks about future glory. And so verse 18 says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And again, let me remind you, they're going through hard times. This is not a picnic for them. I mean, they are suffering. They're being persecuted. Their businesses are being closed. They're being burned down. They're being uh, refused to be able to open up business. I mean, it's not easy for them. Everything is coming against them. And this is what Paul says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And I just want to ask you, while we have everything good, do you believe that? Because I happen to believe that there's going to be a time when we're going to suffer as they did. And so my question is, are we going to be all right with that? Are we going to be able to rejoice in that? Are we going to understand that it, whatever we're going to suffer is not going to be compared to the glory that is going to be revealed in us? Verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For cre the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So there's something greater waiting for us. If we will not give up on the fact that God loves us. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not seen is, or that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it patient, with patience. And I just got to ask, do we do that? 
You know, when we're going through something, what's our thing? Lord, hurry up. Hurry up. Get this done. Let's get this over with. God says, no, it's going to come with patience. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then here's the promise that a lot of people stand on. And it's worth standing on. But it's only a portion of the promise that we should be standing on. There's more to it found in the verses after it. But verse 28. And we know. Everybody say, and we know. Now look. <laughs> we may know it, but do we walk like we know it? Okay. And we know. That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So if you're called according to his purpose, you can be assured and you love God, you can be assured that he's going to work all things out. Now, I don't know for our good, too. Now, I don't know how he does it. You know, I don't know how he does it with my life, with Diana's, with our kids and then with all of you, too. I mean, it's like. You think it would drive him crazy, but it doesn't. He can handle it. But listen to verse 29, because this is really the crux of it. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Have you ever noticed that if he's working all things out for our good, that means that there's some things that aren't good in our lives. That means we're facing trials. We're facing difficulties. We're facing things that we didn't count on. And God says, but if you'll trust me, if you'll keep loving me and let me love you, then we're going to get through this. And here's my purpose for your life, that you be conformed to the likeness and image of his son. And so he uses those things to reveal the greater love that he has for us. But he's also working at the same time, building in the likeness of Jesus into our lives. Because all of a sudden, when we're when we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and the love of God to work in us. When things happen to us, we don't respond like we used to. We respond in a different way. When negative circumstances happen to us, we don't keep falling back in the same rut, but we get out of that rut and, and we trust God. You see, we're doing something different. That means we're becoming more and more like Jesus. And it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. For those who, 29 still, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's plan for your life, if you don't know what it is. Is that Christ is formed in us. And let's continue. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And then we get to verse 31. And these are the verses I wanted to get to, but I think you have to have the context of the whole chapter. So, and in my Bible, it says God's everlasting love. All right, I hope it says that in yours. If not, write it in. Verse, 20, or verse 31. 
What then shall we say to all this? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now look, I just want to remind you, they're going through some very hard times. It's very difficult. They're they're being persecuted. They're even losing their life over this, over because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So, I mean, it's not like they're out having a church picnic. Now, they may be having church picnics, but they're also being crucified. They're being killed. And Paul has the audacity to say, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And if you're thinking like them, you'd think, well, there's a whole lot of things that seem to be against me right now. But there's one that's not. God. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, with Christ, graciously give us all things? And you know, I love that word, graciously. I'm so glad Paul put that in there. Because even in our struggles, God's going to graciously give us what we need. He's not going to say, oh, you stupid idiot. Why did you do that? You know? And you promise you're never going to say that to your kid, but it comes out anyway. How could you be so dumb? And God doesn't do that. He graciously gives us what we need. Verse 33, who shall bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In other words, what he's saying is it doesn't matter what people say about you or against you. It doesn't matter. Know what God says about you. And he's the one who justifies you. Who? Verse 33, 34, and 35 all begin with who? 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? So the point is, is Jesus can't even condemn us because he's the one who died for us. And now he's at the right hand interceding for us. He's helping us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And, you know, this is why we need to get this down before these things happen to us. And then he has a list of things of who? Listen. Shall tribulation. So they're facing that. Shall distress. So they're facing that. Or persecution. They're facing that. Or famine. Or nakedness. Or danger. Or or sword. I mean, this is a list of things. How would we respond? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists all these things. Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no. Everybody say no. In all these things, what are all these things? All these things are tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, being led to the slaughter, or sheep to the slaughter. These are all those things. And he says, no. In all these things, we are. Everybody say we are. More than conquerors. Through him who loved us. 
Through Him who what? Who loved us. See, we need to get this down. We need to know this. We need to know how powerful God's love is for us. And when He says, no, in all of these things, that's a now moment. That's not like a heaven moment. That's a now moment. When you face all of these things, I want you to know that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And quite honestly, I don't know what more than a conqueror looks like, but I can't wait to get to heaven to find out. But it's amazing. Because he didn't just say conquer. He said you're going to be more than a conqueror. I'll take that. Verse 38. For I am sure. Say to yourself, I am sure. That neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. And this awesome. <coughs> we'll be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's why it's so important for us to get to know the truth, the reality that God loves us and do it when things are easy. When things are going good for your life. Learn it then. So that when hard times come. You won't have those questions. You'll stand with me please. You see when you know that. God loves you before the trials come. You're going to be more apt to. Know that he loves you. In the trials. When you're in the trials, that's not the time to figure out God loves you. Father, would you just pour out your spirit upon us? In the hours and the days and the weeks and the months. In the years to come, pour out your spirit upon us, Father. Open up the eyes of our understanding. Cause us to know your love. Or just unfold your love into our lives. And Father, may we be willing to be still to allow that to happen. May we not be constantly so busy that we're already thinking about tomorrow when we should be thinking about how you make us complete. How you are everything that we have need of. Lord, just pour out your spirit. Pour out your love upon us. May we be the recipients of your love, Father. And Lord, as we walk in that love, may it cause us to walk 
the rest of our life in a manner worthy and pleasing of you because that's the kind of love that we want. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. All right. Go be loved.